thank you for speaking to me. Would you mind introducing yourself to those who may not know you? Hello, yes. My name's Elena Pasquarella, and I am running for the District 24th District Office of Congress. Great. And then um, how do you think your previous experiences have prepared you for a congressional seat? That's a really good question. Um, so I'm not your typical typical politician, as it were. I've been um, many things in my life. I've had many hats, very feathers in my hat, as it were. Um, I've been a public school teacher. I did high school, kindergarten through third grade. I've been um, a small business owner. I had my own event photography company, and I've been a photojournalist as well. And presently, I'm, I'm a caretaker for my mother who has Alzheimer's. So I've done a bit of everything. I'm also a union member with that as well, the SEIU. So um, with all those experiences in mind, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a bit different because I am kind of more like your average citizen, right? And um, I've had a lot of experience, for example, with the issue of healthcare when I was a small business owner and I had to take out like $12,000 on my credit card to pay for it. And I'm still paying for that loan that I took. So things like that, um, I can relate to people um, having issues, you know, with affordable housing, affordable healthcare, trying to pay bills. Um, and we don't realize that um, our government is spending $886 billion a year on the military industrial complex. Um, I really became involved. I've been a peace activist for 40 years. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons I'm, I'm doing this is because I've been working with an organization here in Ojai for the past three years called the U.S. Department of Peace. We act locally, but think globally. And so we're trying to show people the connection between the wars and the spending that our government does and the lack of services and, and health and healthcare here and, and those issues here in the United States and in our small communities. Yeah, that's all great. You definitely have a more relatable perspective to your constituents. You mentioned a few issues already, but what are some major issues you're hoping to address? So first and foremost, and the reason I did this, um, was to uh, let people know that we need to get involved in our political system. I mean, that was the first reason I really did go into this because 30%, 32% of the voters don't vote. They feel like they can't make a difference. And so I went into this uh, project of running for office as a kind of um, a civics experiment of showing people, especially youth, because I work with um, high school kids, I wanted to go in and talk to them and say, hey, uh, you can do this. Anybody can do this. And it really is true. Um, there aren't barriers to getting on the ballot, right? And that's what I want to show that we can make a difference. And I have everybody volunteering with me and I'm not spending a lot of money. My my cap is $5,000. And there's a reason for that because if you spend over $5,000, then you have to start auditing your books. And that costs like $2,000 to get the service and then $750 a month for them to audit your books. And I am I just said, well, I'm not going to waste my money on that because that's not what I want to do. It's, it's, they make it a business and that's why they do because there's all this money involved in people who want to sell you software. And, but in any case, so I decided, no, I'm not going to do that from the beginning. I'm just doing $5,000 and then they allow you to have a campaign for $5,000 without auditing it. It's a different, it's a different approach. You yeah, didn't know that? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard of that. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, and so I did this all on my own. But then what happened is I put my paperwork in October 2nd and then October 7th happened in Gaza. And as you know, we've been going through the genocide there. And so my focus really shifted and I realized that 
I really need to be involved and I really need to bring awareness to the issue of the military industrial complex. I mean, that was going to be part of my platform anyways, but now more than ever, a life and death issue, it's a life and death issue. So every day I'm doing something um, to make people aware of what's happening in Gaza. I'm posting, I'm going to meetings, I'm going to protests because it's all connected. The fact that we are doing that, our country is allowing this to happen with the continual support of the the money to Israel, the military aid. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I saw recently you denounced Carbajal's position on the military supplemental vote, um, which for those who don't know would is bringing the Senate passed bipartisan bill to the, for national security, um, which would be $95 billion to the floor for a vote. Could you care to like explain that and what you would hope to do instead as a Congresswoman? So yeah, that just happened um, two days ago. And it what it does, it just continues to perpetuate war all over the world. So it's not just Israel, right? It goes, 14 billion goes to Israel. And uh, I think it was 60 billion goes to the Ukraine. And then there was, I don't know, six billion. You know, when you get into these billions and millions, another six billion, I believe it was, was going to Taiwan. So we're trying to have all these fronts that we're fighting on. Is it China, Russia, Middle East? So it's um, investing all our income in war efforts. One of the other things that really was sad about that bill was that it was also going to stop funding to UNRWA. And UNRWA is the United Nations uh, organization that's been giving aid to the refugees. And so because Israel said that they were uh, eight people out of the 12,000 people who work for UNRWA were involved with the Hamas attacks on October 7th, that and there was no proof given about this, the U.S. decided to defund UNRWA. And at this moment, when there's so much need um, and there's people starving and um, 1.4 million of them are now in uh, in the border of Rafa in Egypt. Um, I wake up every morning, you know, just wondering what's going to happen and how many people have been murdered. And um, I would go for House Bill, House Resolution Bill 1111, which is a bill proposed by Barbara Lee, the uh, representative from Oakland. And what it does is it cuts the military spending in half and uses any funds that we can take from that and invest domestically in peace building initiatives. They say that we could solve the unhoused problem here in our country with $20 billion. So why are we sending 14 billion to Israel when we know we could do that here? So we have to get our priorities straight. And that's why I believe the military industrial complex has a hold over our government. Carbajal received $73,000 in um, contributions from the military. He also received 54 thousand dollars from APEC, the pack related to Israel, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to change that. And um, the military needs to be and the corporate interests need to be out of our government. There's a conflict of interest there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point of the conflict of interest. It should be noted that the contribution Carver Halls received regarding the specific donation amounts from APEC in the military could not be verified according to OpenSecrets.org, which instead says that Carver Hall's top contributor is a limited liability company, Tiger Moon Group, which donated $19,800 to his campaign this year. And um, I've seen you've built a lot of your campaign around this idea of peace. Um, could you explain like the significance of that to you and what that means and how you're trying to apply that as a congresswoman? Um, specifically, you've kind of mentioned like policy wise, domestically and internationally. 
Yeah. And so um, I think we need to like start like in our own communities, right? I live in a really small community of 7,000 people. My son goes to school in Ventura, Ventura High School. And the other morning I got a call at 6 a.m. saying that there had been um, some type of threat online about gun violence or somebody going to shoot up the school and so that there would be a presence of uh, additional police on campus. So when you get those calls and um, you're worried about your child going to school, you don't feel at peace. When I go down the street and I see a homeless person and I, and I wonder, you know, um, I hope there's some services that will care for them. It just, it just hurts my heart. And I feel, I feel like I should be doing something and I am doing something, but not enough. I feel, um, so, so peace is here. Like these issues are our local peace issues, right? So if we're not at peace here, then it's hard for us to be at peace on a wider scale. And then our government, because we're not able to be at peace here, we're reeling, we can't focus on peace internationally and our government's supposed to do that, but they're not doing that either because it's in their interest to perpetuate war because why they make money out of it because the uh, the military industrial complex has such tight connections with our, our government leaders, right? So for example, I'll tell you about the, the idea of people who are unhoused. We have unhoused people here in Ojai. There's about 30 people and they have an encampment for them now that they've created where they can put their tents and they've built better tents for them that are weatherproof. But before that, I remember there was this woman, she was about 73 years old and she was elderly and she'd been living in the park and she was just desperate and the police were gonna arrest her and they were scaring her. And nobody was coming to a rescue and they were threatening to arrest her. And I had been involved with other homeless women who have been arrested and gone to prison because they were, you know, in, in front of someone's business. And and our system also isn't very um, kind when it comes to dealing with people who are, are, are homeless, right? And unhoused. So I ended up bringing her home to my house. <laughs> um, yeah, because I just... You know, it was like they were giving her an ultimatum. I'm like, okay, well, let's just put you here at my house until we figure it out. But then she basically moved in and bought all her stuff in the driveway. And I think I mentioned to you that my mom has, wow. um, well, my mom has Alzheimer's. And so it became really difficult for my mom. It was confusing. And so I realized, oh, that's, this isn't a good idea because it's kind of um, negatively impacting my mom. So she stayed for a couple of days and then, um, somebody else was able to um, offer her some assistance. But mm -hmm. I realized that I can't, and that was a perfect example where like, we can't save the world, right? And I can't do everything, but we should have services with our government that do that. I mean, that's, that's why we have government. That's why we have our taxes is because government is supposed to take care of us. And by them taking care of other people, then I can feel at ease and I can have peace in my heart and I can work and with my family and and not worry so much and 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 not feel um this weight on my shoulders of having to take care of things because the government's mm -hmm. not doing it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense and it's definitely something I think many people can relate to um seeing all these issues with um homelessness. You're talking about governmental policies to help that. Do you have any specific ways you'd like to implement these either locally or nationally? Well, it's it's a local issue, right? But we could use the money and grants from the the federal government. And actually, we have a program that is now going to be um, started here, which is they have been inspired by this organization that 
um, is doing it in Santa Barbara. And that's a wonderful example of how we can um, use the community um, resources and collaborating with organizations to provide housing. What they really do need is like a, a housing situation where they have their own space and they can have an address and, and have the social services, like there's counselors and people to help them get jobs. And so people come through there and they're not surviving on survival mode because being unhoused is being in survival mode. And then there's the problem of um, the drugs being used, you know, and in this situation, they're not, and they can feel at peace and safe and locked in a, you know, lock the door and feel like safe in their, their home. It's a little, it's a small space, right. That they get, um, but it, it's a room. So <laughs> that type of effort is great. And I think the idea for here was to do kind of more like a tiny homes project um, rather than rooms being all right next to each other. So that was one way that we were going to do it here. But I definitely feel that um, if we're not spending the money on the military, that we would have the funds to do projects like this. Yeah, that seems great. You were saying um, a lot of people currently are very motivated by the military and what they're voting on and funding in the government. How do you plan to work together with colleagues that do have different political standings or like positions than you um, to address these issues that you're talking about? That's a, also a good question is how can you? I have to be true to my constituents, right? And right now, as I'm seeing polls, it says that 75% of Democratic uh, people want a ceasefire, for example, use the Gaza example, and they want a ceasefire and we're just not listening to them. And that's another reason why I'm so adamant about this topic is we have to listen to our constituents and not the military. So uh, how do we build bridges? And that's a very, very good question when we're so polarized, right? And I just don't think I could compromise on that. I'm going to be forward about we need to stop the military industrial complex. And I have to show this and be a voice for reason in the Congress. And I'm hoping to inspire other people to also run so that we can change the dynamics. Because right now, it just seems like Republicans and Democrats are thinking the same way because they've been passing the bills. They haven't passed a ceasefire resolution. So they are really controlled by other forces and other interests that are running our country and not thinking of the American people. Yeah, that's really interesting and definitely important to stay true to your values. Um, uh, for climate change, I know that's especially for younger generations. It's a primary issue in 2024, this election cycle. Um, do you have any specific plans for addressing this issue? Well, cutting the military will be a great start because it's one of the major problems and one of the major polluters in climate change in the world. And in fact, they don't even report what they do because uh, they don't have to. <laughs> and they know that if they did, that they would be really um, shunned by everybody because of the waste and the toxins that they're putting in the airs and in the ocean with all of the uh, military equipment and boats and planes and bombs that they're uh, using in our environment. Um, yeah, climate change is huge. We have to cut the fossil fuels. We have to look at alternatives. We have to create, well, so wind, solar, right? Regenerative farming. That's another thing I really want to get back into is, is the idea of working with nature, not against it. And, um, and on that same line is the whole issue of pesticides that are used 
that's very detrimental to the environment and our water sources as well. But most of all, it's detrimental to the people who work in farming and agriculture. And and that's something that I've also been um, very attuned to is that how is it that we have 34 of these pesticides that we're using right now are banned in Europe and we use them. And there are people who are getting cancer, farm workers who are dying because of it. There are children in, in schools and families around the areas where the pesticides are being used that are getting cancer. But primarily, I think of the farm workers, like how what type of society do we live in that we say that, you know, they're kind of dispendable, like we have a workforce that uh, we can just replace them quite easily. And that's just not acceptable. And and that's where I feel like our humanity is lacking in our policies. We're just thinking of money and businesses, and we're not looking at the humanity involved when we're doing our policies. And then going off of what you're talking about with farm workers, I know a lot of the majority of our workers in agriculture happen to be illegal immigrants. I'm curious to know what your views are on that and like border security and immigration especially in California. Right. And it's not all of them are undocumented, right? Yeah. Um, but there is a portion that are, correct? And for that, I'd say um, to deal with that, and part of the reason that that's a problem is that, like I said, the industry, I think, promotes that type of worker, undocumented workforce so that it can keep the wages low, right? And it stops them from being able to unionize in, in the workforce and such. So I would propose like a, a work program so that they could have a visa to work here. And then if they want, which that's another thing that people don't realize is that many of the farm workers wouldn't necessarily want to live here because it's very expensive and all year round, they're not working all year round all the time either because of the seasonal nature of, of the work. And then if they do, they have to move around, right, to find other work. So it would be better because then they could work here and then go home because they love Mexico and they love their country and then come back when the season starts again. And that would solve quite a bit of problems. Um, another issue about the migration issue is that I believe that we have to look at the reasons why people are coming and why are they migrating. For example, um, Venezuela is an example of there's a million people who have come to our borders from Venezuela. There's 7 million Venezuelans who are refugees from their country all over Latin America, Central America, and like I said, the 1 million who have come to our borders. Um, the reason for that is because of our policies towards that country. And we have embargoes and sanctions on them, and it has devastated the economy. And so the people have no option but to go and leave their homes. And then they have family maybe here in the U.S., and everybody looks at the U.S. as the you know, pie in the sky and that everything is wonderful here and they can get across the border. And so we have to look at the reasons why people are being pushed out of their countries, right? And um, in Mexico too, our policies for um, like um, the North Atlantic free trade agreements that happened years ago hurt the workers in Mexico and here as well. And so because the economy in Mexico ended up being devastated, they come over here because they need to find work. And, you know, maybe they know somebody or have a cousin that that is here that they could come and be with and, and try to find a job or something here. So immigration is definitely an issue. But again, if we weren't spending all this money on the military industrial complex, we could help our neighbors, right? And mm -hmm. work with them and maybe have programs for economic development in Central America to help their economies be strong so that the people don't have to leave their homes. Um, I've personally been to Honduras and Guatemala 
And Guatemala is like one of the most beautiful, amazing countries in the world. And it's so sad that, you know, we had the war there in the 80s. And that's when I was an activist in the 80s in college. And I worked with refugees from El Salvador and Guatemala. And so they didn't want to leave their country. But because of the wars that we destabilized, you know, destabilized their country, the people came here. So we have to look at those issues, too, and see how are we causing the people to migrate to our country and look at those issues as well. Yeah, that's super insightful. I guess, is there anything else you would like to add for this and what you would like people to know um, who may be voting for you this election? Yeah, well, I truly believe that the time for change has come in our country. And it's up to us to be informed. It's up to us to vote. and. We need to get out there and speak to our friends and neighbors about what's going on. I know that people don't feel safe in their communities. Uh, the other issues like uh, drug usage, gun violence, those are domestic issues here in our country that we need to deal with. And we need to look at the reasons of why there's so much um, mental health issues. I think that's also related to the problem of the military industrial complex, because if you're out there, um, committing genocide and doing wars in other countries, you're not going to think about your own people and the well-being and their well-being. So it also causes a lot of anxiety. And 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 I see that in the youth today when I was a teacher, as a high school teacher, that I don't think was there before. And um, the youth, this the wars and the climate crisis, it's all affecting our youth. And our country needs to think about how can we bring peace at home so that we can um, live a better life here, right? And not destroy countries. And And I think that um, another thing is that we're trying to improve our nuclear capabilities. We're going to spend a trillion dollars on improving the military and nuclear uh, capacity of our country in, in the war area. So we just need to stop spending all this money and stop um, giving money to the corporate uh, military industrial complex. And I really do believe once we do that and focus on social issues at home and education, you know, free education for college, why should, I mean, you go to Europe, the education is free. College should be free. It shouldn't have to cost so much money. Parents shouldn't have to put their housing, you know, up on mortgage to pay for someone's college. Um, the same thing for for could be said for healthcare bankruptcy in our country. The the reasons for most bankruptcies are because of um, health bills and medical costs. Again, that's just unheard of, and we're the richest country in the world. But um, healthcare shouldn't be for profit. Education shouldn't be for profit. You know, these are things that they should be a given in a industrially uh, developed society such as ours. I think a lot of people can appreciate that sentiment. Thank you again so much for speaking with me. I think that's about all the time we have, but I really appreciate it. Thank you. Emily, I am so grateful for you making this time and you know, you're the future and being a journalist is a really important another important role in our country that I feel the journalists haven't been asking the questions and covering news how it should be because it's all corporate based. So this kind of, you know, journalism grassroots is important. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm sure you can relate as a photojournalist too to that idea. Mm. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, bye. Bye.
In an email after this interview, Pascarella asked to add that another big concern she plans to tackle is the national debt of $33 trillion to pay off rather than continue to fund international wars, and has a peace promoter's plan to get 100,000 votes to win the election, and asked people to visit voteforpeace2024.com for more information on her and her campaign. With KCSB News, I'm Emily Kimmel.